The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, watch out for the bad programmer jokes. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 484 with guest Philip Japixi, recorded live Monday, August 24, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says, if it's a race condition... Place your bits. Carl Franklin. Thirty-nine speakers in my living room. That's a complaint about the sonic. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here, and Richard Campbell with you for your listening pleasure. What's up, my friend? Show five hundred, baby. It's getting closer. Yeah, it is getting closer. You know, as the the days get shorter and we, we get into winter, there's one thing on my mind. What's that? Programmer humor. Oh, no. Hey, why do programmers always mix up Halloween and Christmas? Why? Because Oct 31 equals Deck 25. Is that true? Yeah. Who programs in Octal anymore anyway? What, you don't? <laughs> Eight bites walk into a bar. The bartender says, can I get you something? And they say, yeah, make us a double. Nice. This is a good one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Java. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's bad. There are three kinds of lies. Lies, damned lies, and benchmarks. Nice. You like that? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, more later, I promise. And that's a threat. Nice. All right. So uh, let's get right into Better No Framework, shall we? All right. Well, this is a uh, today we have a class that I did at the beginning of Better Know Framework, but it's so cool and so useful that I feel like I got to bring it back. It's the System.io.File System Watcher class. Ah. Oh. 
You may have seen the file system watcher component in your Visual Studio toolbox. And uh, what this essentially does is it notifies you when a file or a directory changes. Now, if you've ever written any kind of code to do this yourself, what you probably do is you poll. You sit and you look at a directory and you look for the existence of a file and then you look to see if it's zero bytes or not and then you look to see if it's got a size, look to see if it's, you know, read only or write only and then if it's when it's ready, you read it in, you know. that The problem is that you do have to pull for it and you usually end up writing code specific to that file in that directory. So what this does is built into Windows is a notification subscription model where software can say, I want to be notified when something changes in here, and this is exactly what I want. So the operating system does the polling and at a much lower level, and it's a lot more efficient. You know, you could see, uh, you could actually spin a lot of CPU cycles doing it yourself. So and there's a whole bunch of filters on the file and notify filters as well. So if you want to know if something was created, renamed, changed, deleted, that kind of thing, you can just uh, specify that. I will say, though, however, that after having some experience using this, you do have to test it out thoroughly because those filters can be ORed together, and sometimes it takes the right combination of notify filters in ways that you don't really expect in order to work the way you want it. So check out some sample code and check out the examples. That's it. That's what's evil about notifications, right, is that the only way you know you got it wrong is that you don't get something, and that's pretty hard to figure out. Yeah, exactly. So definitely do the test. And there is a there's a really good example in the MSDN help. Awesome. So who's talking to us now, Richard? Oh, I got a great email for you. It says, uh, regarding show 474 with Christian Gross, the death of the speaker. As Carl has mentioned several times during the show, the market has spoken. Yeah. And the market will continue to drive change because the market forces us to improve ourselves, our products in order to stay competitive. I usually attend a pay conference and a couple of free ones each year. In my experience, the training I receive at a pay conference is better. Is it better enough to be worth the money and travel? Considering some of the sessions I've attended at pay conferences recently, I'd say no. I remember thinking, I paid for this? Speakers were unprepared, unenthusiastic, or did not know how to teach, that is, transfer knowledge. The rest of the conference experience was great, but that's secondary to the training I'm expecting to acquire. I've had the same experience at free conferences. I remember thinking, at least I didn't pay for this. <laughs> yeah. I believe there is still a market for high-quality conferences, but I believe it will demand just that, high quality. Professional speakers will have to improve their ability to teach. They are professional speakers, for heaven's sake. How about a taking a class on teaching? They need to show that their presentations produce more value than what you'd get for free. Professional presenters need to respond to this new competition by improving the value they are offering, and I believe there is definitely some room for improvement. Thanks for the great show, Joel Lyons. Hmm. Any disagreement at all? No. No, I don't think so either. No. I totally agree, Joel. Thanks for the great email, and uh, we'll be sending a mug your way, and if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, comments on anything... Send us an email at .NET rocks at franklins.net. Yeah, I, th I think sort of the who moved my cheese idea is, is more accurate uh, or more helpful anyway in that situation. You know, the situation changes. You can't sit around whining about it. Well, and, I, and I wonder if we have in the sort of big conference scene gotten complacent. It's the same speakers every year. 
the topics are you know a little dated. Like we we gotten soft. Maybe. Hey, two strings walk into a bar and uh, sit down. The bartender says, "Can I help you?" And one guy says. Yeah, give me a vodka. And the other guy, the bartender looks at the other guy and says, what's with your friend? He says, oh, don't pay attention to him. He's not null terminated. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> this is where we're at, are we? <laughs> hey, uh, we're coming up on our 500th show, and we want to hear from you. So if you've got anything to tell us, you got anything to say, or you know, stories about .NET Rocks or stories about programming in general, uh, maybe it has nothing to do with .NET Rocks, but if you've got an interesting antidote you want to share with the world, give us a call toll-free inside the United States at 877-492-6751. That's 877-492-6751. Outside the U.S., 860-447-8832. Leave us a message, and if it's funny and if it's interesting, we'll play it back on the show. Our guest today is Phil Japixi. He has been working with .NET since the first betas and developing software for over 20 years. Phil is a Microsoft MVP and holds MCSD, MCDBA, CSM, and CSP certifications. His expertise includes Smart Client, WPF, ASP.NET, MVC, and e-commerce, as well as mentoring teams in .NET, SQL Server, and Agile. Phil is a contributing author to nplus1.org teaches custom classes, speaks at national and regional events, and is a passionate member of the developer community, serving as director for the Cincinnati.NET Users Group and Software Architecture SIG. Phil works as a principal consultant with Pinnacle Solutions Group. Uh, he's a firefighter paramedic and a volunteer for the Ski Patrol. You can follow Phil on Twitter. His Twitter ID is SkiMedic, S-K-I-M-E-D-I-C, and read his blog at SkiMedic.com slash blog. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, it's a great thing that you're doing here. Um, we heard a little bit about this at DevLink from Josh, but why don't you fill us in on Hope Mongers? Certainly. Uh, Hope Mongers was, is really the dream of, of Sam Henry, who's a Microsoft employee. He, he put this whole thing together. He spends a lot of time overseas working with the world's poor. And one thing that has really been missing from the charitable world is the ability for, uh, you know, Joe the plumber to give 10 bucks here and there every other week or something like that. Uh, most of the target is, is for corporate donations and, and large-scale donors. And we wanted to have a way for charities and uh, specifically the, the world's poor uh, to be able to put projects out there that people could contribute in a micro-giving way. So they're not pushed back and said, well, my 10 bucks won't make a difference. So every, every dollar does make a difference and we wanted to make it easy. This is something that has perplexed me for a long, long time. Um, is charitable giving. You know, there are organizations out there such as UNICEF and such as care and feed the children and all sorts of them. Um, but you don't really know anything about them other than what they tell you in their TV commercials or, or whatever. UNICEF has a really good reputation. Um, and a lot of these have good reputations, but you still don't know where your money's going. And this is, I guess, the 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 answer to that, where which is, I I like this project. I want to donate to this project, and the money goes right there. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, we've been sponsoring children for years, my wife and I, and and you know, we write a check and it goes somewhere, right? And we get a picture and a vacation and a letter. This is so vastly different that it really makes you 
as the, the donor part of the whole process. Instead of having a big bucket where all the money goes and gets doled out, you can actually look through the different communities that are signed up, pick a project for a specific community, whether it's building a well, um, medical care, you know, building an orphanage, um, helping with schools, that type of stuff. And each of those projects has a dollar amount. Uh, let's say, for example, you want to build a well in some community that doesn't have any clean drinking water, and the um, living waters, you know, build a well for $2,000. And the way the projects are set up is you can fund that project. You can either do a one-time donation or you can do recurring donations. And once that $2,000 requirement has been met, we stop accepting donations for that particular project. The project begins. The really neat thing at this point is there's the people who are doing the project in country are actually going to be blogging about it, photojournalism and everything else, and you will be you will have access to a URL where you can watch the progress of that well being built. Now, the people who are actually doing the work, are these people that are working specifically for Hope Mongers or are they associated with other charities or other projects as well? Um, Hope Mongers, um, we, really what we are is an aggregator. So we aren't doing any of the work. We are just bringing people um, to different organizations. Uh, Living Waters is the one that, I, that comes to mind. Um, There's several out there that, that we work with. Sam Henry has really done a good job of vetting the ones that he wants to deal with. But they do all the work. Um, all we do is we're facilitating a way for people to give money. And the other really nice thing about the way we're set up is we accept nothing off the top. So your $10 that you give goes straight to the project. So we get 0% of that. And how does it, how's it paying for itself? Well, that's, that's, that's the rub. Um, we've got uh, zero money coming in and lots of work being done. So there's a couple things that are going on. First and foremost is we have had over 50 Microsoft, not Microsoft employees, but Microsoft developers, .NET developers involved in this project since inception. It has completely been built by volunteer work. Wow. Through give camps, through individuals, uh, through user groups kicking in, through companies uh, giving time at a deeply discounted rate. There. There has been some money that's been raised by Sam, and it's by you know going out and knocking on doors and, and please help fund the project. But I would say 98% of all the work that's been done on this has been done uh, via charitable programming time. What kind of reminds me of is Heifer.org, Heifer International. You heard of these guys? I have not. H-E-I-F-E-R. And this is a, this is a charity that I'm involved with. What's great about it is that you can you give uh you buy animals basically for a family and you can buy a set of chickens or a goat or a cow or a pig and the idea is that it's given to this family and they are taught how to raise it and mate it with other you know with other animals and then raise those animals and use it for food and and all the great things animals can do for a developing country and so what's cool about it is that you you buy an animal for a family, and then it, it, it keeps going on. And then they have to give their firstborn uh, a back to the project, 
So it's kind of neat. It's a it's a neat idea. And it's it's a similar thing in the same way that you're you're just sort of you know, you're you're cutting out the middleman, just sort of going directly to the project. But before we get into the technology of, you know, behind the website and stuff, you mentioned that Sam Henry has done a good job of vetting out the people who are in the projects that are going on to the ones he wants to give to. That seems to me to be the critical point of of this because who's to say, you know, who who gets to just can anyone just sign up and say, yeah, I have a project, I need money, <laughs> you know, and the, the, like the process of sort of registering your project with with hope mongers seems to be a, a pretty critical piece to it. Yeah, it is. And and Sam has, has been very passionate about this for a long time. He actually is planning a trip into Uganda uh, where he leaves in two weeks. And one of the reasons for going over there is to check out different communities, see what their needs are, make sure that they really need a well if they're asking for a well, and also meeting with companies that are over there doing these types of works. A big problem also is security, which needs to be paid for. You know, if you're, if you're, uh, uh, let's say, you know, digging a well in a, in a village and, uh, you know, now you've got this well and now other people come who don't shouldn't have access to that well and are stealing the water or whatever the project is, you know, um, security has got to be an issue. Yeah, I would imagine it is. Uh, one of the things that, that Sam would, would come back with, if, if that were the case, I'm, I'm sure, is we'd be able to uh, put some projects in there for those communities for security. You know, one of the one of the um, topics that we are looking, or one of the sorry, one of the criteria that we're looking for providers to give is security and um, really it's safety and housing type things. So yeah, that's that's absolutely one of the concerns. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, without whom this show would not exist. No doubt. You bump into testing tasks now and then in your work. And we can bet writing functional tests is not your favorite thing. It's difficult. It takes ages and the results could be dubious. Well, get ready to start liking it thanks to Telerik. With the just-launched Web AII testing framework, building web automation tests is a breeze. Enjoy code-based automation of advanced ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight apps. Write a single test and have it executed against multiple browsers at once. Benefit from rich API link support, integration with Visual Studio unit testing, NUnit, XUnit, and MBUnit, not to mention the free wrappers for Telerik RAD controls for ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight that ship with Telerik's new testing tool. Surely one of its best features, Web AII Testing Framework, which is developed by Art of Test, is absolutely free. If you're already hooked on Web AII testing framework, you can start using it right away. Go to Telerik.com for more info. And hey, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Okay, let's talk technology here. You mentioned that there's uh, some 50 or some odd developers, Microsoft.NET developers, who are who are working on this. So obviously you got a, a SQL box somewhere, right? Yeah, we are running SQL Server 2005, 
and that has been given to us by DiscountASP.net along with the web hosting. And so we're, we've actually got three different SQL Server instances. Uh, we've got one running for production, one for test and integration, and another one for reporting services. And then we have um, SAS Made Easy has given us build boxes. So we're running a Team Foundation server in a hosted environment. And mm-hmm. that's yet another uh, item that's been given to us. And then the third part, which is a big part of the whole solution, is Telligent kicked in a free copy of Community Server for us. And that's for oh, cool. the community site, uh, the blogging, the forums, and, and that type of information processing. So when you say the blog, is this blog about the projects or is it about the development of the site? Uh, the blog is going to be related to the Hope Mongers project. So uh, the blogging for the development of the site, we're doing on our own blogs. Okay. Um, but this is going to be specific so that um, myself as a donor, I can go and, and see what's happening in these different communities. Uh, there'll be people blogging about different needs and situations and human interest stories and that type of stuff. And then as the projects get funded and they're working, that will be part of the journalistic uh, approach that they're going to do for building these projects and, and keeping up with pictures and stories and, and you know how we've helped different communities. So community servers part of the equation. Uh, is there a lot of custom work here? Because you're basically just taking in data. Uh, where do all the projects come from in the first place? Uh, the projects come from, uh, right now, like I said, Sam is Sam Henry is our point person doing it. He is actually in, in discussions with several companies that would help us to vet it and make it larger. Right. Uh, but right now, we're dealing with different companies that he is personally involved with. So it's kind of small scale right now, trying to get off the ground, and we're looking for partners. We being Sam, who's really the business owner of this and the brainchild behind it, and he's looking for partners to help vet communities and projects and those types of things to get them into the system. And so you're bringing together folks who want to make donations for these various projects. Who actually does the work? Uh, The work, like building the well, for example? Yeah. Uh, That would be different companies that um, Sam has identified. Like, for example, Living Waters is a company that is over in impoverished nations, uh, building wells, um, shoring up aqueducts, that type of thing. So they're physically doing the work. Hope Mongers isn't um, doing any of that type of work. Again, we are kind of the aggregator trying to make it easy for people to give donations and making it compelling for them to do so because they can follow along and see the results of what their money is doing. And we're bringing those people to the companies that need the funding. Right, so I mean, you guys literally are the middleman. You've you've got you find the projects, you find the people who can do the work, and then you find the folks who can actually make the donations to pull it together. True, uh, we are the middleman that's taking zero off the top. Right, yeah, getting funding separately for yourselves from the actual money that's involved here. Right, and one thing that we we have added to the site, and we went back and forth on it, but we felt it was necessary is when you fill out your shopping cart and you've got your different projects and how much you're going to give to those, there's an extra line item where you can donate to the Hope Mongers project itself. Right. But if you chose not to give to Hope Mongers, then all of your money would go straight to 
uh, the project. Okay, that's fair. So there's still, it sounds like for our listeners, there's still plenty of software to be developed as well. There is. Uh, the, the next goal that, that we're researching, and I'm hoping to, to fly down um, shortly to meet with the Azure team, is to make this a multi-tenanted app. Right now we have, um, really we're a single site, one database, really all geared for the hope mongers, uh, communities, and um, implementers, you know, the, the companies that do the projects you know, all geared around our particular need. What we're what we're looking to do next, and we could certainly use some help if people want to contact me, is make this multi-tenant so that we can actually start pushing this out to different areas. We can have regional versions of Hope Monger. So this one is specific to Africa. We can have one for China, for, you know, the, the different impoverished countries around and make it more specific for those localities. All right. Uh yeah, so it's not, besides just donations, there's ways. How do you participate in a project like this? Is it this is uh, an open source project? Like, wh- what do you do? Um, I got involved in March with Hope Mongers. Um, Sam had talked to some people that he knows in DPE, uh, developer and platform evangelism with Microsoft, and was looking for regional influencers to get involved in this project. Right. So um, Jim Holmes is the one who contacted me and said, hey, you know, we could use your help on this. And I started looking at the data model and, and those types of technical details to see how we could best implement some testing around it and really drive the quality up. When I came in March was really a, a period of flux for Hope Mongers. Um, Jason Townsend, who's out of Oklahoma, and his user group had done a whole bunch of work getting things to where they were then. And they were kind of transitioning off of the project, as, as volunteers will do. They, they'll kind of come and go. Right. And um, I was put in a position where, um, you know, with my background doing um, data architecture and application architecture, I got promoted to application architect uh, right around the end of March. And one of the first things that I did was make sure that we had cleaned up some things. We had a lot of different hands in the pie, if you will, and we had different flavors of architecture. We were using some link to SQL. We were using some ADO. We were doing different types of things within it. And so we took it. We split it out. We made sure that we were following solid and separation of concerns, and we broke out the tiers. So we have a data access layer that's um, technology agnostic that the business logic layer can call into, which is then called to from the ASP.NET Web Forms project. We decided not to go MVC at the time just because the amount of work that had been done in Web Forms. We figured it would be better just to continue on to try and push out to R1. And so we're Web Forms with jQuery, and then um, everything's in C-sharp, .NET 3.5. And then the business logic layer is obviously just a bunch of C-sharp classes. And then the data access layer is sitting on top of in Hibernate and a framework that I wrote around in Hibernate that enables um, other developers to call into it without having to know anything about Hibernate query language or you know, any of the in Hibernate specific stuff. So my role has been since, again, around the end of March, beginning of April, 
as the application architect. So I've been really running with that, uh, making sure that our test coverage is solid, uh, that we've, you know, keeping track of everything in Team Foundation system, you know, bug reports and, and feature requests. Uh, running the stand-up meetings, um, we, since we're all distributed and we're all working nights and weekends, we can't have a daily stand-up like you would right. in a traditional project. So we were having uh, stand-ups twice a week in the evenings, dial-in. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge working with volunteers because you, you never know what skill set you're going to get in the door either. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one thing that we've been uh, – we've actually been very fortunate, and the people that have stepped up and worked have all been very, very bright people, and we've always been able to find, you know, the best match. Uh, my strength is not as a web developer. Right. Um, I do a lot of smart client tests my MVP is in, but I also do a ton of database and in Hibernate type work. So really, you know, what I was bringing to the table was more the, the application architecture, but then really getting down to the ones and zeros for the data access layer. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Payette, um, who's out of Columbus, Ohio, just really dove in, rolled up her sleeves and started cranking on the front end. And really working on the web stuff, that's it's what she's really good at. Um, I had another um, guy from Michigan, Jay Harris, who's really good at testing. He was beating on it with the you know, team test tools, making sure that we had performance and, and that type of stuff. So we've, we've been able to slot people where they work best. And we've, there's been enough work that we, we've never turned anybody away. Is the hosting and computers and all that also donated? Yeah, the hosting and the um, the hosting for the website, the hosting for the SQL server, and the hosting for the build server has all been donated. Wow! Yeah, so it's been that's been fantastic. That is fantastic. It's amazing what people can do. Uh, we got to call out these guys. So who's doing the hosting? Uh, the hosting is DiscountASP.net. Cool. And the build host, the build server hosting is SAS Made Easy. S A A S Made Easy. And Paul Hacker, you guys might know him. He's an MVP. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. he's the one who coordinated that. And then again, Intelligent doing the uh, with the community server donation. Yeah, Our friend great. Rob Howard, I'm sure. Yeah, Rob Howard. Um, that name came up. I just don't know Rob personally, so the name didn't stick in my head. I apologize. Not to worry. <laughs> he's a good guy. And and did Microsoft donate the licenses for Team System and all that sort of stuff? Uh, ooh. That's a good question. Um, all the people that have been working on the project had their own copies of Visual Studio. Right, of course. So um, I'm guessing that that was part of what um, SAS Made Easy gave with their hosting. Right. The team testing license. So I'm just trying to get a picture here of what a new volunteer has got to go through to get involved in developing on this project. Um, yeah, that's, good. that's a good question. It's really extremely painless. One of the things, one of the first things that I did when I started was, you know, of course, get latest out of TFS and, and fight with getting it to run on on my machine because it never works on your machine the first time you start a project. Right. It seems to be historical. And so um, Steve Andrews, who's just a, a wizard with TFS, has spent a bunch of time along with myself and, and Jim Holmes and getting the project to a point of where, Literally, you can take a 
brand new install of Visual Studio 2008 with Team Explorer, get latest from source, and be up and running, build and running in minutes. So we, we've, we've managed to, to get that hurdle out of the way. Uh, as far as the learning curve, we, we've really stressed a couple of things on this project. Uh, one is quality. Uh, we are emphasizing testing. We're not requiring test-driven development because we still have, you know, a lot of people in the community are still adjusting to that, but sure. we want you to at least do test eventual development um, with your stuff. So we're sticking with the Microsoft stack. So we're using um, MS Test, you know, all the, the Microsoft tools. So we don't have to worry about, you know, what version of MB unit are you using or NUnit or that type of stuff. So from a technology standpoint, by sticking with straight Microsoft on everything that we're doing, uh, we've really eliminated that as a friction point. From a learning perspective, the site's not that complex. It's really not. We've got three main projects. We've got the, the web project. We've got the business layer. And we've got the data access layer. From the data access layer, I've exposed an API where you can dynamically build queries without knowing anything about how to write a SQL query. Right. Well, like I said, you're an N-Hibernate guy, and, and that makes you a relatively small uh, group of people. So you've got to insulate. You, you, you can't set the bar that, that to that level for most volunteers, so you've got to know N-Hibernate to be able to develop here. Right, yeah, and that was one of the... When we started talking about unifying the data access layer and what technology we were going to settle on, um, I'd like to look back and say it was an easy decision. Um, it was a rather interesting hour-long phone call where um, it probably was good that everybody was remote because it got a little heated at times. Uh, right. Because everybody's got their opinion. Uh, but what it came down to is I've been working with Hibernate for a long time. I have a whole bunch of CodeSmith scripts, templates, that I can point at a data store and regenerate a complete data access layer with the push of a button. And so, so my point to the team was data access layers in flux. I can continually regenerate every time you guys make a change without there being any friction. Right. You know, if somebody else has that for linked to SQL or EF or even ADO.net for that matter, step forward, bring it on. You know, I'm not saying we have to do in hibernate. I'm saying if I'm taking on this role, it's going to be in hibernate because I've got the infrastructure to make it very, very painless. Well, and it's an interesting approach to dealing with it, which is this is the infrastructure we all need, guys, that ability to generate the data structure on demand. Pick your technology and build a, mo- and build a version of this, and we'll pick the one we like the best. Right. But I guess maybe the reality when it comes to a volunteer scenario here is anybody who's willing to step up usually is going to, you know, and do the work is going to get their way, so to speak. Yeah, and that was kind of how the conversation ended when I said, hey, you know, if somebody else wants to take this role, they're more than welcome to it. And then I heard a bunch of crickets on the other end of the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like actually building the code to sort of get things nailed down that way. Right. What are some of the other challenges that went into putting this whole thing together? Well, one of the big challenges is when you're dealing with, um, you know, and, and even though we had over 50 people on it, we probably have never really had more than 10 or so at a time working on it. Right. Uh, but but all those people, rock star programmers, 
you know, whether the web or the testing or, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but we're not usually allowed near paint.net or any other thing that would make a picture. Oh. So one of the biggest problems that we had was how do you make the site look good when you've got a whole bunch of Uber geeks working together? And, and that's, you know, it can be the most solid foundation, you know, performant application in the world. And if it looks crappy, nobody's going to come to it. And Sam really bailed us out there. He found the company in Chicago called Manifest Digital, who basically slashed their rates to a fraction of what they normally charge. Sam was able to get some donations to pay for their time, and they did all of the UI for us. Nice. Wow. Manifest that was, Digital. That, that was a big deal, right, because we had this kind of ugly green color thing going on. And I'm not saying that to slam the people who did the green, because I probably would have done like an ugly blue thing. Well, the site is beautiful. I mean, it's just beautiful. Right. So you were saying you're building the, the site using uh, web forms and jQuery? Yeah. It's, um you know, that's kind of a, a misconception that, that has been out. You know, um, MVC and jQuery go hand in hand. And they yeah. do, absolutely. Um, but jQuery is just a solid rock. JavaScript foundation that you can use in any web project. And, you know, I, one of the talks I give is on jQuery, and, and, you know, the title is Making the Web Developer-Friendly. And I guess you can take it as either are you making the web developer-friendly or are you making the web developer-friendly. <laughs> you know, what, one of the reasons that I don't like doing web development, and I've certainly I've done done enough of it, you know, at the enterprise level, um, but one of the problems is the browser, right? Because if if we didn't have to deal with browsers, web development would be great. <clears throat> but when you're writing JavaScript or you're writing CSS, and you got to make sure that you test it in 27 different browsers, and then within there are a bunch of different versions, then it gets really tedious and time-consuming. And demoralizing to an extent, right? Because you feel like, well, I've already written this. I've already solved this problem. Why do I have to rewrite this a little differently just because IE6 does what it does? So we brought jQuery in to handle the, the JavaScript part of it because of the wrapper it gives you on top of, you know, CSS and the browser differences and things like that, and it really sped up the client-side development. Yeah, it just makes the, the browser variations invisible to you. Yeah, for the asterisk, right, it's mostly invisible. There's a couple quirks that you still have to deal with, which I'm sure they'll resolve in the next rev of of jQuery. Right. Yeah. It makes it visible to you right up until it doesn't. Right. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So what are you specifically using uh, 
jQuery 4 here that rather than just doing the usual postback cycle? Well, it's for client-side validation, you know, on the e-commerce pages when you're filling out uh, your form, you know, instead of, you know, doing a postback to validate you feel, that you filled out the credit card number correctly, right? We want to do some client-side validation so we're not wasting postbacks. So, and, and you're not, as a, as a user, you're not sitting there, click this button, wait for it to come back, and, oh, look, an error, and then fix that. So we're doing client-side validation for the data entry forms. We're also doing a lot of the animations. Um, we've got a, um, if you look at the site, uh, www.hopemongers.org, uh, you'll see we've got a project scroller, and that's all done with jQuery. And we've got some different things to not only make the site look better, but uh, as you're coming into the site, you get a better view of what all you can do with the site when you're in there. And the, the jQuery has really enabled us to, to very simply do some animation, some information type stuff that's browser agnostic. Right. Do you use continuous integration in a project like this? Could that even work in this scenario? Um, we do. It took us a while to get it hooked up. The, what we've done with the integration, uh, the build, is it's, it's continuous integration with the delay, which is fairly standard. And, you know, when you do a check-in, it waits, I think it's like 15 minutes before it actually starts to build. Uh, so if you've got multiple people checking in, right, you don't start taking off these, these build, 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 build. It actually works very well because of the fact that we're not all working on the same schedule. You know, I, I work from home for most of my customers, so I can take two hours during the day work on Hope Mongers when I know nobody else is going to be on the build server and do some things while everybody else is either at their full-time job or at their clients, knowing they're going to come in that night and work on, you know, probably using some of the stuff I built during the day. But we have scattered time zones. We have scattered schedules when people work. And it's actually very nice that every time you check in, you know, it kicks off a delayed build. Because especially if you're working solo, right, you might not realize you broke the build right? until you get that email, you know, because you don't have the guy sitting next to you saying, hey, you broke the build. Yeah. Buy donuts. Well, and, and everybody knows you broke the build because nobody else was working on the project at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good indicator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, you're so busted. Yeah. It just makes it hard to buy donuts for people when everybody's distributed. Yeah, I, th- I think what you got to do is just keep a record of that uh, when you finally get them all together once a year, they all bring donuts. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh what a yeah, generally speaking, this has got to be very test sensitive because you do have somewhat varying skills and somewhat varying approaches. It's not like you have an opportunity to mature this team. It's always going to be turning over. Yeah, and that's one of the after we go live, and it sounds kind of backwards that we're doing it after we go live, but one of the things I'm going to be working on after we go live, which should be September 21st on or about, is I'm going to start refactoring the code and, and really raising up the test coverage and making sure we've got it locked down from a quality standpoint. What we've done to now is I've got one guy that works for, for my company, Pinnacle Solutions Group, who is 
really, really good at writing unit tests. And one of his focuses on this project has been going in and making sure that we have testing around the quote-unquote important stuff. And the important stuff is the, the e-commerce pieces, right? If you If you don't show the right project at the right time, that's excusable. If you are supposed to charge somebody's credit card $10 and you charge it $1,000, that's inexcusable. Right. Yep. So we've, we've really drilled down on the test coverage for those paths. And we're using, um, again, you know, TFS with the code coverage and MS test and everything else built in to just keep a metric on it. Uh, Sam Henry has got some reports that are printing off the, the bill to go right to him in an email just to make sure that he doesn't have any red flags. Uh, when he gets red flag, he calls me, and then I have to go try and, you know, beat on volunteers, which is always... You know, that's one of the, you'd asked me before, what are some of the challenges? And one of the biggest challenges that I run into as the architect on a volunteer project is if these guys were all on my team, these guys and, and ladies were all on my team working and I was the architect, and they're going down a path that I don't approve of, I have some recourse. Right. On the side, hey, this is not the direction we're going, we're doing this. When you have a team of volunteers, you do that too much, you find yourself a team of one. Yeah. So it's it's got it's had a lot more give and take, um, sometimes more give than take, and it, it's trying to find you know, based on skill sets and experiences, people want to do things a little different way. And one of the things I've really been working on doing is is doing some consensus building on how we do these things. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems I think you run into, I see certainly in open source projects, is that people only want to work on the cool stuff. So you start, you know, sort of that the plumbing or or the infrastructure things that are just not that exciting tend not to get developed. Uh, one project I was involved uh, in working with was was the Postgres database, and I remember someone asking about it. Well, you know, what was it like being open source? I said, "Hey, we can pass tables as parameters into our store procedures, but we can't do incremental backup because incremental backup is just not cool." Right, and and fortunately, with such a diverse group of volunteers on the project, everybody has a different definition of cool. Definitely. And so we haven't run into that as much. You know, one thing that everybody hates writing is CRUD. Yeah. Right? Because it's repetitive. Yeah. I'm not really solving the business. Well, you know, that's where I came in with my Inhibernate templates for CodeSmith, where I can crank them out in no time. What I've been doing is I've been refining my API that, that wraps up the Inhibernate based code so that people calling into it. You know, we could swap out the back end link to SQL or, you know, any framework or whatever we want, and the API stays the same. And so that's been kind of cool. But the real mundane, you know, insert statements and that type of stuff, I script out. So the the part that everybody hates, I've taken care of. I said, wasn't there a link to an hibernate? There, it just it actually just came hmm. out. It, it, they've been toying with it for a, for a while, and they just released it. I haven't had a chance to look at it. It's probably very similar to what I've recreated, because I've. It's kind of the. It's almost a fluent Phil's version of how to get into and hibernate without knowing and hibernate. So, is your site payment card industry or PCI compliant? Yes, it is. 
And Sam has been, um, I don't know if the full certification has been done yet, but that is on the agenda before we go live to make sure that we pass all those tests. Are there any, um, are there any legal issues that come up when you have such a, when you have a big dispersed volunteer team? Um, insurance is a, is all of that waived when you become a volunteer? Um, another good question. We, we do have, uh, one of my coworkers wife is a lawyer who works with nonprofits and has been doing work for Hope Mongers. So I'll be sure to ask her that. But my understanding is that, you know, I'm not getting any compensation for doing this. I'm donating my free time. It's not like you have to have a workers' comp card and that type of stuff. It's it's almost like the Good Samaritan rules. And right. I would, I would presume that there's some protection afforded due to that. Well, protection for the developers, but what about for the organization? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's I a don't good question. Have to review into that. Well, you get you get back to that whole PCI angle on things here. You are handling people's credit cards and. You got to be careful with them and, and not only charge the right amount, but make sure you don't have a leak later. Like they, they, there's a lot of infrastructure here, although you have a fair bit of experience in the e-commerce area, don't you, Phil? Yes, I do. I've done, I've done quite a bit of large scale e-commerce sites. And this one, we've actually made some decisions to make those issues essentially go away. We're not storing any credit card information at all. Good call. We, um, we're working with a, a third party, you know, payer. Um, you know, it's blank on the name. I apologize. Um, but a credit card processing company who actually has a service for recurring payments. Nice. So typically when you're doing a recurring payment, you have to store the credit card number and the credit card ID, you know, your secret little three digit number in the back of the card. And then every month you'd have to fire off the payment. We are subscribing to a service, so that's handled for us. So when we make a transaction, uh, we either indicate that that transaction is a one-time or a recurring transaction and what the recurring frequency is, you know, when is it ongoing forever or is it only after 10 payments, that type of stuff. And it's entirely the responsibility of the credit card processing company to handle that. Is uh, InfoCard dead? <sighs> Dead. Um, was it really ever alive? I, well, okay. <laughs> the, let me put it this way: the the attempt to standardize and give some accountability to and make more secure the whole online thing when credit card stuff works now is all that dead. Um, I, I think the intent is still there. The problem is you have. Too many differing opinions on how it should work. And so it's, I don't know if we're ever really going to get to one set standard. Yeah. But the big problem that I see not only is, are the stakes high because the stuff works now, you know, it's like PayPal works, people use it, you know, entering your credit cards, like having all the, your credit card information in, in like an autofill feature in your browser works, password protected, and uh, every once in a while somebody gets bitten by it, but you call up the bank and you say, well, you know, this I didn't buy this, I didn't buy that, and they're like, okay, here's your new card. So uh, I guess with everything pretty much working out there, and on top of all that, 
the chance for whoever owns the technology to sort of nick it. You know what I mean? Just sort of right. take a little, shave a little off of every transaction. Um, that's probably a reason why people are leery of it. I mean, people, I mean, end users, and that's one of the reasons why it hasn't been adopted is because nobody's using it. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's, you've got organizations, different credit cards. I know, I think Citibank started this process, not that I'm plugging them one way or another, where you can actually contact them. They give you a temporary number that you can use to make a purchase so you're not using your real credit card number. So there's lots of things going on, but there are all these individual little efforts like you said, you know, the browser can, can remember the stuff in a secure way so you don't have to type it in each time. I, I just don't see big changes coming because exactly as you said, things are working. Yeah. And everybody's making money, especially the credit card companies. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we know how to collect money. We know how to find our guys. We know how to connect things together. I think we've got all the sort of bits of this. Have we missed something in this app? Uh, yeah, we have missed Phil's email address if you want to donate your time. Yeah. Didn't you have an announcement as well, Phil? Something coming up? Oh, yeah. I have a couple things. First of all, um, contact me is really easy. It's at uh, com slash blog, uh, or you can email me. That's not schematic. That's S-K-I-M-E-D-I-C, right? Yeah. Ski-Medic. Ski-Medic. And uh, Ski-Medic has been my nickname online and in real life for a long time because I volunteer for the National Ski Patrol, and I'm a firefighter paramedic for the local fire department, and nobody can spell or pronounce my last name. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the one of the big jokes on Twitter, you know, everybody says you should always have your real name on Twitter because nobody understands nicknames. I said, yeah, but nobody would ever respond to me on Twitter if I use my real name because nobody could ever spell it. Yeah. Yeah. So Schematic is um, that's my website also, and you can email me Phil P H I L at Schematic dot com. Beautiful. And then um, Josh Holmes, who's uh, Microsoft Architect Evangelist in the rich internet space would like to announce that launching September 23rd, which would be yesterday, there is a new version of BizSpark. If you're familiar with the BizSpark program, this is Website Spark. And the web pros who meet the, the professional firms whose primary business is providing web development and design have 10 or less employees, and develop and deploy at least one new website using Microsoft tools and services within six months can get all kinds of free software, tools, support calls, unlimited access to managed news groups on MSDN and Channel 9, all kinds of goodness. And if you want more information on Website Spark, just contact Josh Holmes. That's josh.holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, at Microsoft.com. Excellent. Yeah, and for those who are not familiar with BizSpark, BizSpark is Microsoft's program for providing software to startup companies for free. Right. Yeah, and this is the web version, and it really ties into this because if you'd like to get involved with HopeMongers and Contribute and you don't have Visual Studio 2008 or you don't have Team Explorer or any of those tools, guess what? The program will give it to you. Nice. 
So certainly if you are interested in finding out more about Hope Mongers or how you can help with the project, we have a lot of work. We're, we're looking at moving this towards an Azure database so we can have unlimited scalability, multi-tenant. We've got other sites that we are planning to do with this. Please contact me, phil, at schematic.com. We'd love to have your help. Phil, thank you very much for sharing this great project with the rest of us. Well, thanks for having me on. This has been an honor for me. Well, and good luck in the future with this. And, uh, and uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this entire show. That's great. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a